Well, how many of you are getting into the Christmas spirit? Lots of folks, yeah. There's normally uh, a few different responses to that question depending upon who you ask. There are some, like there are in here, that are all about it. They begin to get ready for Christmas in September. They get excited about rushing to Hobby Lobby to go down the Christmas aisle to be reminded of the fact that it's, it's coming soon. They also get their Christmas shopping done in October and begin decorating right after Halloween, right? Many of you can relate. And then there's some, you ask, who are, who are not all about it at all. They're the, they're the exact opposite of that. They're like Scrooge, right? Remember in Dickens' classic, his, his nephew comes and wants Scrooge to come and eat with them at Christmas. And Scrooge says, you keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. He says, well, you don't keep it. And he said, well, let me leave it alone then. That's what many people do as well. They want to leave it alone. They're, they're laying low, staying away this time of year. And then you've got another group that were just kind of in the middle. They're, they're the whatever group. Whatever. You know, they're, they're not all about it, but they're not opposed to it either. They're just sort of whatever. Depending upon you, who you talk to, there are varying degrees of, of those types of responses to Christmas. And we're going to discover this morning that these similar responses we see during the first Christmas as well. We're going to look at these different responses this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning. A very, very familiar story to you, no doubt. We're uh, continuing our Christmas series. We're spending Christmas in Matthew. And for the last two weeks, we've been in Matthew chapter 1. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, and we, we learned some glorious truths from that list of names that Matthew gives us in the first 17 verses of Matthew 1. And then last week, we looked at Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and we talked about the miraculous conception and the virgin birth and all the truths we learned there. Well, today, we are going to be looking at the story of the wise men, and we learn that there are a number of different ways people respond to this message about Jesus, to the gospel message. And that's always the way, right? There is always this mixed response when it comes to Jesus. This is nothing new. So we're going to look at these different responses and the lessons that we learned from them. I want you to see, number one, the response of a wicked king. A wicked king was opposed to Jesus. That's point number one. A wicked king was opposed to Jesus. Look at verse one of Matthew 2. Matthew tells us, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and sang, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So in Matthew 1, he tells us that these events take place during the time of King 
Herod. Now, if you read your New Testament, some of you may think, man, Herod had a long lifespan because he's mentioned throughout the, 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 the scope of, of the timeline of Scripture. But you need to know there were different Herods. OK, that's in that's important for you to to remember. OK, Herod was their 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 ruling dynasty. And and so this is Herod the Great. This is the father of Herod Antipas. We've been focusing in on Herod Antipas in our study of Luke. He's the one who had who had John the Baptist locked up and ended up having him put to death and the one who wanted to kill Jesus. We learned about that in, in, in Luke 13. So this is his dad, Herod the Great. And he wasn't a sweetheart either. He was a wicked ruler. All the Herods were. He was a great and evil king. And we don't just learn that from the text, though we do learn it here, but we also learn it from the extra biblical historical sources as well. Here's how evil he was. Sources tell us that he had his wife and his two sons put to death because they were a threat to his throne. He valued that more than anything, which is important for you to keep in mind this morning. Caesar Augustus said this of Herod the Great. He said, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. And the reason why is because pigs had a better chance of survival among in, in Herod's kingdom than his sons who were a, a threat to his rule. Now, here's the interesting thing to remember about Herod. While Herod at this time was functioning as king of the Jews, Herod himself was not Jewish. He was actually a descendant of Esau. He wasn't a descendant of Jacob. Herod was an Edomite. And he was appointed by the Roman government to rule over the Jews. So while Herod's rule covered the Jewish people, he himself is not Jewish. That, too, is important for you to keep in mind this morning. Look at verse 2. Notice when the Magi come, the wise men come, we'll talk about them in just a moment, and they, they ask about Jesus. Notice what they ask. Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Now, that word born is very, very important. Herod was not born king of the Jews. So get this. Picture this. You have this king who's not Jewish, but he's ruler of the Jewish people at this time, who values his kingdom more than anything, so much so that he puts his wife and his kids to death to, to remain in power. And then you have these wise men from the east come in and they basically say, hey, we've come to see the real king, the one who is born king of the Jews. How do you think that's going to sit with Herod? Not very well, right? He's the king. It's his throne. He's not okay with any baby, Jewish baby being born, who is going to be a threat to his rule. So what he does is he devises a wicked plan. We'll look at that in just a moment. Matthew talks about that later in this chapter. First, skip down to verse 7. Matthew says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now you remember Jesus referring to Herod Antipas as a fox 
said, go tell that fox when he heard that he wanted to kill him because he was, foxes are sly and they, they prey on the weak and they hunt in the shadows and they're, they're, they're scheming and, and devious. We see like, like father, like son, right? Herod the Great is, is, is devious in this way. We know by knowing Herod, he has no plan of going to worship this baby, right? He has evil intentions. But uh, the, the wise men don't know that at the time. But, but later on, we're, we're told they're warned in a dream not to go back after they go see about Jesus, not to go back and report to Herod so they go home a different way. And on down in verse 16, we learn that when Herod learns he's been tricked by these wise men, he becomes furious. Look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So we, we, we see here how truly wicked Herod is. And the real reason for him wanting to know the whereabouts of Jesus, Herod wanted to kill him like father, like son, right? He wanted to kill Jesus. And he was, he was so furious that he had been tricked by these wise men. So furious that there is this baby out there that people were calling the king of the Jews, that he does something unthinkable. He doesn't just try to seek out this this one child and put him to death. No, he has all the Jewish males to ages two and under. He has them put to death for probably a couple of different reasons. One, he wanted to make sure that he got his man, but two, he wanted to show the Jewish people who's the true king, who's really on the throne. And the reason why he, he sought out children ages two and under is because of the information that he had received on the, the time of the, the wise men when they, when they first saw the star and started their journey. See, you often see in the nativity that the wise men are right there at the birth. That's, that's not correct. Uh, Jesus was probably one or two by the time they came to, to visit him. But he's trying to gather this information so he can go and find this child. This king is strongly opposed to this baby, right? He's a wicked king. He was the first real villain of Christmas. Many of us, we, we have our favorite Christmas shows we watch every year, and there's a lot of goofy villains on there, right? But Herod was, was a seriously wicked individual. And why was Herod opposed to Jesus? Get this, because Jesus was a threat to Herod's throne. Now, folks, that'll preach. Herod was the king. And he didn't want anyone to come and threaten his rule. He wanted things to stay that way. He didn't like anyone coming along who was going to threaten that, which is why he is opposed to Jesus. And guess what? Same is true for many of us in our world today. That, that's the same reason why many are opposed to Jesus today. If many are honest, they want to be the king. We want to be the king of our own lives. We want to live by our own authority. Many don't like people coming along, someone coming along and taking away their rule. That's why they're opposed to Jesus. 
But get this, when Jesus comes, he comes as the king. He has come to rule and reign in the hearts and lives of men and women. And there are only one of two responses to him in Scripture. Only one of two ways to respond to Jesus. You either fall at his feet, worship him and serve him and follow him, or you reject him. One of two ways. What is your response to Jesus going to be? Have you bowed down before him? Surrendered your life to him? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you given your life up and over to the Lord of glory? If not, you're here listening online and you have not. I pray you would today. That's the first lesson we learn from a wicked king. He rejected Jesus. You also have the religious leaders. Here's their response. At this time, they were indifferent to Jesus. That'll change, but at this time, that's, that's what it seems like was, was their response to him. In this story, we have Herod in Jerusalem. The wise men first travel to Jerusalem. Uh, many believe the wise men, they had, they had probably been exposed to uh, some of the writings of the prophets, maybe had read uh, Daniel's, in Daniel 9, his prophecy about Jesus. They had heard about this Messiah, and they thought, well, the place to go to find the king must be Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem first, and they seek out the king over the Jews. Surely he'll know, but he didn't know about any other king. So who does he go to? He goes to his religious leaders to see if they know, and we find out they know. They know about this. Look at verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, so Herod calls upon the religious people, the, the chief priests, the scribes, all of them, and, and he asks them if they know about this baby to be born king of the Jews. And notice the answer they give. Yeah, we know. We know about that. They quote Micah 5, one of their prophets. They say he's to be born in Bethlehem. And they state that the person to be born is to become ruler and shepherd of God's people. Now, this is interesting. The religious people knew where this baby was to be born, right? In Bethlehem. You know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? It's about six miles. Not far. Not far at all. You have to think, too, after a couple of years, they've probably heard rumors that started with the shepherds who go out and make it known, right? They're witnesses of this, of the risen, of, of Christ being born, of the, of the Christ child being born. And the fact that he is a fulfillment of Micah 5. And here they are hanging out in Jerusalem. And it seems as if they're completely indifferent toward this News toward the goings on in Bethlehem, so much so that they're letting this wicked king know about the prophecy and the birthplace of the Messiah. 
You have this incredible event that takes place that, that shepherds and others have witnessed and they have shared throughout the land. And you have these Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem six miles away doing absolutely nothing indifferent about the news. Look at verse 3. Look back up in verse 3 of, of Matthew chapter 2 before he seeks out the advice of the religious leaders. We're told when Herod the king heard this, heard the news about Jesus, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now we know why it troubled Herod, right? We just talked about that. He loved his rule more than anything. But why did it trouble all of Jerusalem with him? Well, have you ever heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. Herod was a lot like mama. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. They wanted to keep the king happy so things would remain good for them. And I believe the religious leaders were the same way. They didn't want the boat rocked. They didn't want someone coming in that may make life difficult for them. Maybe they wanted their positions of, of authority, though they were, they were being oppressed by Roman rule. They were, they were happy with where they were in their position, and they thought, this is better than something else, so we don't want anyone to come in and mess this up for us. They wanted to keep Herod happy. Their mentality was a lot like the... The, the Jewish people in the wilderness in the Old Testament after being delivered out of Egyptian bondage. Y'all remember that story, right? The Jews are in Egyptian bondage, being abused because of the wicked rule of the Pharaoh at that time. And God uses his man Moses through miraculous signs and wonders and acts of judgment against them. He delivers his people out of Egyptian bondage to be his people following his man Moses, and they get out into the wilderness, and then what do they begin doing when life gets a little bit difficult for them? They begin to look back to Egypt. Man, things were better when we were, we were slaves in Egypt than out here with you, Moses, following your God. That's similar to what's going on here, I believe. They wanted to keep Herod happy so... They could keep themselves happy and things good for them. So they, at this time, remain indifferent. They'll become indignant and opposed to Jesus later on. But at this time, they seem to be indifferent. You know, there are certain things you can be indifferent about, right? For example, I don't know what we're having for lunch today. I'm not really concerned about it, you know, as long as I eat something. Certain things you can be indifferent about, but listen, we cannot be indifferent when it comes to Jesus. You can't come away from a guy like Jesus and say, you know what, I don't really feel one way or another about him. The claims he made are just too radical. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. The only way to be made right with God, think about what the angels are saying about him. He is going to be the, the, the Savior. He is going to deliver us from sin and darkness. You can't come away from a guy like that and just say, whatever. I'm indifferent. Remember the song by the Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right? 
can have that kind of response when it comes to Jesus. His life and his teachings are just too extreme to leave one in a state of indifference. So I don't encourage you this morning. If you're here, you're listening online, and you're, you're just neutral when it comes to Jesus. You say, you know what? I'm not opposed to him, but I'm not really all about him. Jesus is just all right. I urge you to consider the claims made about him, the claims he made about himself. And I encourage you to respond to him in faith and know that Jesus himself said, if you are neutral toward me, you are against me. Scripture is clear that Jesus is just as opposed to those who are indifferent toward him as he is toward those who are opposed to him. It's very, very important for us to remember that. Jesus said, you're not with me, you're against me. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you have not already side with Jesus Christ, don't stand against him by remaining neutral toward him, but instead place your faith and trust in him and in him alone for your salvation. So those are two of the three responses. A wicked king rejected Jesus. Religious leaders did not care about Jesus. Now let's end with the wise men. The wise men worshiped Jesus. Who are these wise men? We've talked a bit about them already. Let me give you a little bit of background on these guys. Some translators refer to them as the Magi. And the reason why is because the Greek word for wise men is magoi. And uh, it's, it's where we can get our word magician. They were, they were known as, as either magicians or astrologers, dream interpreters. They had no doubt read some of the, the, the scriptures, so they were they were knowledgeable of the, the Jewish people and the, and the uh, God of, of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob as well. But uh, some translations, it refers to them as, as wise men for this reason, because they were, they were well read and, and, and studied. But they're the ones who stir this whole thing up. Verse 1, we're told they come from the east. Many believe that to be Persia. Tradition says that there were three, though we're not told that, uh, that we get that from the three gifts that are given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we know there was more than one. There could have been two, could have been three, four, six, or ten. We don't, we don't really know, but that's not the main point. The main point is how they respond to Jesus. Look at it. Verses 9 through 12. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So notice how they respond. Verse 10 says they were overjoyed. Verse 11 says they bowed down and worshiped him. They, they, they brought him gifts. Verse 12 says they, they responded to the revelation that God gave them and they protected the child. 
They seek him. They give to him. They respond to him. They serve him. They protect him. They worship him. This is key. Great irony in this story. Notice the people closest to Jesus in terms of proximity and ethnically and closest religiously, they're the ones opposed to Jesus. Yet these men who are a world away from Jesus in proximity and religiously, not like him in any way, they're the ones who come to worship him. Very, very interesting. The religious leaders were like Jesus. They were descendants of Abraham. They, like Jesus, knew God's word, claimed to be followers of the one true God, very, very close to him in this way. Yet the irony is these, these wise men from the east, magicians and astrologers, they're the ones who come and worship Jesus. And there is a very clear and simple application to be made here. I'm well aware of the fact, pre-COVID and post-COVID, that we have folks coming to our church each and every week, those listening online who grew up in the church, who grew up believing facts to be true about Jesus, who have come to church week in and week out, still do and have never stopped, who do not know Jesus because their lives are not surrendered to him. They've never forsaken their sin and placed their faith and trust alone in Jesus Christ. They come to church every day, but they're lost. It's true. We're told it in Scripture. They're here every week, close in proximity. Even know certain things to be true about Jesus and believe those things to be true, but it's just head knowledge. Their hearts have never been given up and over to the Lord Jesus. Their, their hearts have never been changed by the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something that, that is going to be hard to hear, but it's absolutely true, and it's important that you hear it. Close won't cut it. Close won't cut it. Close won't come close to cutting it. You cannot be close to Jesus in terms of proximity and belief. You must be one with him through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is this. Where are you in relationship to Jesus? What is your response to him? Are you cold toward him? Are you opposed to him like Herod? Or are you like the religious leaders in Jesus' day who were, who were close in proximity, close religiously, but a mile apart from him spiritually? Or is your response like the wise men in the story who are willing to take extreme measures to get to Jesus, willing to sacrifice to see him and be, be near him? Willing to, to lay it all down before him? Are you, do you belong to him? Are you a worshiper of a him? Have you forsaken all to, to follow him? Where are you in this story? Let me tell you where Jesus is in this story. Jesus is the savior of this story. He at one time was removed from us, yet he condescended down to us. 
He became one of us. He drew near to us in order to save us, in order to bring us to where he is. He took on flesh, as we read in Philippians 2. He became one of us. He emptied himself by becoming one of us. He lived the perfect life for us, and he humbled himself, being obedient to God to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. He died the death we deserve to die in our place, and he rose again in order to raise us back up to life through faith in him. He gave his life for us so that we who give our lives to him can have life in and through him. That's, that's the Christmas message. That's the message of Christmas. That's the gospel. That Jesus gave his life for us so that we who give our lives to him can have life in and through him. And the good news we learned from this text is that it doesn't matter how far away you are from Jesus, you can come to him. And I urge you today, if you have not, you're here, you're listening online, respond like the wise men in this story this morning. Come to Jesus. Place your faith and trust in him alone. Lay everything down, forsake your sin, and bow before the king of glory. Give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Let's pray together.